0: this is the turn on the jets podcast
1: i don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up i am these players they want to defend metlife stadium for you guys
0: yeah. right, here's your host joe Caparoso
1: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of the turn on the jets podcast i'm your host joe Caparoso, owner of turn on the today we're gonna have a a long conversation with our good friend and host of the daily Turn on the Jet show, Play Like a Jet, Scott Mason. Pretty sure he's at about 4,000 days in a row now with the Jets podcast. So <laughs> if for whatever reason you haven't yet, make sure you're also subscribed to the Play Like a Jet feed. We are going to go through basically the entire Jets offseason and talk about where it leaves our expectations heading into 2020. What moves we liked, what moves we didn't, what moves we expected, what moves we didn't, we're going to focus on free agency on this episode, which is on our feed going live today, which is Monday, and then the draft portion of it will go live tomorrow on the play like a jet feed uh, for Scott show. If you have not yet, please subscribe, rate, review. This podcast is available on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Also, if you have not yet, check out our subscription podcast available at Turn on the Jets. Dot podbean.com That's hosted by Connor Rogers and myself. Uh, nine ninety nine for one year subscription. You get a ten part audio docu series. And since then, we've been cranking out weekly episodes. We have another, I think fourteen or fifteen that have ran since uh, we finished the docu series last week. Had an episode with Connor Hughes of the Athletic. The week before, talk with Charles Robinson of Yahoo about the Jamal Adams situation, which is of course popping off back into the news again with his Instagram comments on Miles Garrett's account. Uh, the story that won't go away. And then finally, uh, Scott and I are excited to announce and there'll be more details to come with this. And it's not going to impact the distribution of this in any way. So you don't have to change your subscription or anything, but both turn on the jets and play like a jet are going to become whistle podcasts. Uh, Whistle is where I work uh, full time. We're a great sports media company that you should definitely check out and follow on all the social platforms. And, We are slowly building a collection of shows that uh, we are going to be packaging and marketing together, so got my own podcast, of course, Turn On Jets and Scott's podcast under the umbrella to go with a few more other shows that we're really excited about over there that uh, we'll also be promoting and building out around that. So long PSA off the top, so let's jump into talking New York Jets offseason with a focus on free agency. Scott, how you doing? How have you kept doing an episode every single day this offseason? How do you do it?
0: It's like the Cal Ripken phenomenon. I got to keep the streak going. It's been fun because the thing that I like to do when times are sort of slow is to have a lot of different voices on to get a cross-section of opinions on everything that's going on around the team, whether that's the draft free agency or, as you said, stuff like the Jamal Adams saga. So I'm glad to be able to do this with you because now I can come on with you and we can talk about part of this on your show and then we can talk about the other part of it on Play Like a Jet. And then it'll mix in with the rest of the voices. And then, of course, you know, Michael Nania pops in for his usual statistical craziness. And Joe Blewett's there for the film. And Manish is there to rile some feathers, as he always seems to. Even though a lot of times he doesn't mean to But it just kind of works out that way And Chris Nimbly with the mailbag So we're keeping it fresh, we're keeping it topical We're keeping it relevant Even though, as you said, it is a bit of a slow time But Joe, we're heading into training camp Whatever that's going to look like So now seems like a really good time To take a look at what this roster is going to be enveloped by As we get ready for the 2020 season Because it sounds insane but we are only a couple of weeks away from training camp, and we're only, what, two months away from the preseason?
1: Yeah, I mean, it came up on us quick. It's I don't know if preseason is going to be two games, four games, but it, it's here one way or the other uh, in August or late August. So this is generally the quietest part of the year, but this time flies by, and it's going to be interesting to see what training camp feels like when it comes back with everything going on, and if the preseason is four games, two games, how the Jets handle it, but Really, before we know it, it's going to be week one, Jets at Bills. So it, it sneaks up on you quick. So I do think it's good for us to sort of take a beat here and say, you know, what actually happened, you know, this offseason and where does that sort of pair with what the expectations were? So I think, you know, I'm trying to think back. You think back to when this season ended. And yes, the Jets had their six and two finish. Uh, the reality was that their season was really over in October, though, when they were one and seven. So the off season was a prime discussion of topic, uh, really from like late October on. I would say from the time that they got throttled by the Patriots on Monday night, which kind of showed that they weren't going to, you know, hang around in any meaningful way this year. And I think there was never a thought that this was going to be the massive sort of spending spree off season. I think. The expectation was that Joe Douglas was going to focus heavily on the offensive line and hope, and more generally, focus on the offense. There was a lot of discussion around what was going to happen with Robbie Anderson. Uh, would Levy on be a trade target? Uh, Someone the Jets were looking to offboard. And, it, you know, I look at this Jets offseason and I, I think we're used to this cycle we've seen over the past nine years or so where they have a massive spending offseason, which they did the year before with Mike McCagden, followed by. Uh, a little more cautious spending, and then the year after with the expectation that they can or will spend a lot. Now, with how the Jets' roster is currently constructed, even if the salary cap is flat or down a little bit because of the pandemic, they should still have pretty substantial cap flexibility uh, because they didn't go crazy this offseason. You know, when I look at what they did in free agency, uh, I think there are some similarities to what Buffalo did a couple years ago where they went with the quantity approach on the offensive line I do think the collection of players that Buffalo added uh, a couple of years ago overall probably was a little more proven uh, because outside of Connor McGovern if you look at who the Jets added you got a guy in Greg Van Routen who you know I think is an okay potential starter but as someone who's still gonna have to compete with Brian Winters who they still have sticking around on the roster at least for now uh, they draft Cameron Clark in the middle rounds. He's not really expected to make an impact this year. Of course, and Kai Becton. We'll talk about those two more uh, on your portion of the feed, but in free agency, you know, it was keeping winners around. It was Greg Van Routen. Uh, it was Josh Andrews who's another, you know, backup who will be battling for a roster spot. Uh, it was George Fant, a guy who has limited starting experience, but is expected to compete for a starting role. So, you know, you look at guys like Fant McGovern, Andrews, their only concrete definite starter that they added and who as it stands now is their best overall offensive lineman. And what I would say was in many ways the headline edition of their offseason. So you look back two years ago, the headline editions were Le'Veon Bell and CJ Mosley. The Jets headline edition this year, in my mind, was Connor McGovern. And I don't know if Connor McGovern. I don't think he's going to be first team All-Pro or second team All-Pro or even a Pro Bowler. But what he is is a plus starter at a position that's been an unmitigated disaster for the Jets for a long period of time. We're talking Wesley Johnson. We're talking Ryan Khalil. uh, We're talking Spencer Long. That position has been a mess. So to go get McGovern and have a guy who, at a minimum, will be a good starter for you uh, was an important one, and I think it's not flashy or overly exciting, but I think was – in my mind, unquestionably, the best free agency decision the Jets made this offseason. What are your thoughts around what is sort of the headline and how the Jets handled the offensive line in free agency?
0: I think you're pretty much on target. The only one that I looked at and was thrilled by was McGovern, and this is not to say that McGovern is some all-world center but he's probably an above-average center, and based on what we've seen the last couple of years, it would be a huge improvement. The irony is that the center position has been one of the toughest things for the Jets to fill the last couple of years. But before that, they had 20 years of two of the greatest centers of all time back-to-back. So they were spoiled, never had to think about the center position, and then once they finally had to address it again, they have all of these problems. The rest of the offensive line doesn't seem to be long-term moves. Fant could turn out to be if he develops into the player that they're hoping for. I know he was trending upward, as they say, at the end of last year, but he still is so raw and needs so much work, and he's 28 years old. I just don't know if I see it happening. I feel like after one year, they may move on from him. You have Van Roten, who's more or less a journeyman. He played for two seasons in Carolina, but he's already in his 30s, missed a couple games last year. He'll fight with Winters for a guard spot. Lewis comes back, same guy that they already had, but he has had tons of injuries. Last year was actually his healthiest year since coming into the league. Uh, The rest of the years, he's missed on average four games per season, and He's missed even more than that much of the time So if you look at the rest of this offensive line In terms of what they did in free agency It feels like newer but maybe not better It could end up being better but we don't know for sure Because suppose Winters beats out Van Roten And then let's say Fant ends up as a starter on the right side And isn't any better than Kelvin Beecham Although I know Kelvin Beecham was on the left side, but you get the point is that it was brought in to be that more stable type of guy as opposed to last year when you had Beecham and the rookie Adoga coming in for a lot of the time. You would sort of have that same dynamic with Fant and now Makai Becton. So if he's a downgrade from Beecham, that hurts. McGovern is the one big Addition, And I think he'll be here for a couple of years But there's a lot of question marks here It's an uncomfortable thing to talk about Because they made a lot of moves And everybody knows it was a priority And I'm not even bagging on Joe Douglas Because other than Graham Glasgow And I do think that they should have also tried to get Jason Peters I think they should still go get Jason Peters Especially since it seems like the market has cooled on him He's still out there And they can probably get him for an affordable one-year deal Other than that, it's not like there was a ton that they could have done And even those moves would be short-term moves, especially Peters So I'm okay with what he did with the offensive line But I don't know that it's going to be that much better than what it was last year I think people need to keep their expectations in check And realize that maybe instead of being the 30th, 31st best offensive line in the league Maybe they move up to like 25, 26 with this line. You hope for more if you get from Makai Becton. We'll talk about this on the second part of the show. But if you get from Makai Becton instant impact, the guy that comes in right away and is dominant, then maybe this becomes a better offensive line than we're expecting. But you have to figure he's going to probably struggle a little bit, which means that this offensive line is going to be fairly well below average again
1: it's going to be incremental progress and Beckton's going to have an uphill climb being a day one starter with such an abridged offseason. I, I don't doubt he's going to be a long-term cornerstone for this offense, but there's going to be some Rocky patches this year, especially when you're playing Buffalo and San Francisco's defensive line right out of the gate. Um, and the rest of the spots, I think, I think there's still a lot of question marks. It's not even just from, you know, a talent standpoint, it's from a health standpoint, you know, George fan has had injury issues throughout his career and is an proven starter. Chuma Adoga in his one year was inconsistent and banged up. Alex Lewis has had injury concerns. Greg Van Rowland and Brian Winters have had injury concerns. Now, is everything going to break the wrong way injury-wise? No. But are people going to get hurt? I and mean, are you going to have some games this year where uh, the starting five is not the original starting five that you have down? Yeah. So I think they will be better simply from McGovern and Beckton from a talent infusion standpoint. This is not going to be one of the 10 or 15 best offensive lines in the league. It's not there yet. And I know it's not a popular opinion with jet fans, but I'm not, pr- I'm not sold that Frank Pollock is an offensive line mastermind. Who's going to be able to maximize everything here. I understand his resume was impressive prior to coming here, but the jets, while they were light on talent last year, were poorly coached up front. And some of that is on Adam Gase, but some of it is guys just look confused and had no idea what the hell was going on. So, I'm not saying Pollock can't get the job done, but I'm not acting like they have the best offensive line coach in the NFL here because until proven otherwise, I have no faith in the Jets' offensive coaching staff, and that includes Pollock uh, based on what we see this year. Now, when you look away from the offensive line, the Jets didn't do too much else to bump their skill positions. They hung on to Le'Veon Bell uh, because Noah wanted to trade for his contract. Uh, They let Ty Montgomery and Bilal Powell walk. They bring in Frank Gore to be the backup running back. Uh, Robbie Anderson leaves, as we expected in free agency for a little less money uh, than most thought he would get. And they replace him with Rashad Perryman, which is something that it, – it was rare because it was one of those moves that had been talked about since like November. I remember seeing people tweet us about Rashad Perryman as a Anderson replacement, and it actually happened. So the Jets' two skill position additions this offseason to support Sam Darnold were adding Frank Gore and adding and Perryman. Beyond that, it's, you know, Jameson Crowder's back. Uh, we know they drafted Denzel Mims. We'll talk about that in, in your portion of the podcast. They bring back Berrios and Vincent Smith as deaf guys at receiver. They take a flyer on Josh Doxson. Herndon's coming back healthy. Ryan Griffin's coming back healthy. Uh, they bring back Daniel Brown. Uh, and that's kind of it. But the, the two sort of headline new faces are Gore, a guy that is going to be a Hall of Famer, who I don't doubt will be great in the locker room, who looked pretty good two years ago, but is an old, slow running back who was not very good last year. And I'm wary that he is going to take away more touches than he should from Le'Veon Bell and Piran. We'll see. Uh, And then Perryman, I think, is a one-year flyer to potentially replace Anderson, while Denzel Mims hopefully gets up to speed. I think was a reasonable move. You know, it's if you look at the contract, it's – it's fine for a one year deal. I think he showed some interesting stuff down the stretch in Tampa last year. I think the context behind those performances, when you look at what Tampa's offense was and where the teams he racked up those points against, does that translate to a 16 game starter who could go give you eight, 900 yards and six or seven touchdowns? I don't know. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. You know, Perryman is not someone who's proven he could be a consistent starter yet, produce outside in cold weather consistently. Uh, so we'll see, uh, you know, the receiver depth chart is still an area for concern and I'm not going to lie. I think, you know, the reality is that it's a failure for this organization That Sam Darnold's going into his third year as a starter and he does not have a single wide receiver or tight end who's ever been over 850 yards in a single season in their career. Uh, you know, the only guy who hit that number was Crowder and that was a few years ago. Um, and doesn't have, you know, you have Bell who has sort of those big stats, but is also coming off, you know, a down year. So, you know, yes, the hope is that Herndon and Bell mitigate some of the concerns of the receiver depth chart. It's just frustrating when you look at Baker Mayfield having OBJ and Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper and Najuko and Nick Chubb. You look at Josh Allen having John Brown, Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox. Uh, You look at what Lamar Jackson has around him and how they curated the offense to him. You look at Kyler getting DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, The Jets never sort of got that move over the hump. And that's not necessarily just on Joe Douglas, of course, it's on what Mike McKagan did to the roster. And it's just going to be tough. You know, I think, I don't know at all what to expect out of Perryman. I wouldn't be surprised if he replicated Anderson's stats from last year. I wouldn't be surprised if he played nine games and finished with 315 yards. He's just a, a big sort of variable. I was not a big fan of the Gore edition. It was like the kind of thing we were joking about happening like last October and it actually happened. I would have liked to see more speed brought to the running back position and, you know, prine and Gore are not burners. Uh, I, you don't know. I, I would like to see a little more done there, but I understand this is going to be a multiple year process and, Everything I've seen from this Jets offseason, it this year feels like an evaluation year, and I know fans hate hearing that, but it feels like we're taking a lot of one-year flyers on guys who have some upside, but we're not convinced they could be long-term pieces. We're going to see how the coaching staff handles this year, and then we're going to make some massive changes and long-term investments. Uh, On the roster and then potentially on the coaching staff That's how moves like Gore and Perryman kind of feel to me And even sort of the one-year deals they did with Poole and Jenkins On the defensive side of the football Any other thoughts on offense before we go to defense?
0: I think that's a fair assessment I don't think they did a ton on offense to really help Darnold At least in terms of free agency Would have liked to have seen Robbie Anderson stick around Especially at the price tag But they clearly decided they wanted to go in a different direction Perriman is a high upside swing We saw the best of him last year But it was only for a handful of games So the question becomes Can a guy who otherwise Was a poor performer But had a pedigree And was a first round pick Be able to be more like the guy That we saw at the end of the season in Tampa last year If so Then this could end up being a steal for the Jets If not, they'll move on from him And it really fits the pattern of everything That Joe Douglas is doing No long-term commitments to anybody You bring in Frank Gore on a one-year deal He's going to be half coach, half player It seems like You bring in Perriman on that one-year deal Everything is sort of geared towards Keeping the ship as close to floating As possible in 2020 Before they really start to Go forward in 2021 and a lot of people Don't want to hear the word rebuild but That's exactly what this feels Like all around on this team But particularly when it comes to What they did on offense in the offseason Because the only guy that they Gave a multi-year deal to that They can't get out of very easily After the first year is McGovern
1: Yeah I think that's a good way to look at it I mean there's consistency with how these Contracts have been structured and this offense Is a major work in progress and I'm very curious to see how this year plays out, who stays, who goes, when you look at what the long-term construction is going to be. Defensively, it was a lot of we're waiting for guys to come back, C.J. Mosley, Avery Williamson. We're ensuring we have all the support we needed inside linebacker by bringing back Hewitt and Burgess and signing on Alonso, who might, again, play a little edge for them. They bring back Jordan Jenkins, no other major additions at the edge roster position through free agency. Uh, They get Brian Poole on a one-year deal, which was really nice value considering how good he was last season. Uh, And they go get Pierre Desir uh, to hopefully help stabilize the outside cornerback position. And he will definitely be one of the starters or get teed up. But again, he's a guy about to be 30 years old, injury concerns. If it hits, great. You go with him for another year. But he's not a long-term guy uh, at corner. And I think with Poole and Jenkins, they're smartly, they didn't overpay. They're going to say, we'll give you one more year. Let's see. Jenkins, if, you know, you are going to be a long-term Calvin Pace-like piece here, or we could just find and give your job to Terrell Bashan or Zuniga or someone else at a lower cost. Uh, and, you know, outside of that, we're going to see how a lot of these positions kind of play out. There, I think they're banking on uh, Greg getting creative and doing what he did last year, where he absolutely overachieved considering the overall situation. You know, the Jets on paper should absolutely be able to match their top 10 DVO ranking from last year, because they should be better with Mosley and Williamson back and everyone, Quinn and Williams, hopefully taking a year two leap. They will have a harder schedule in many ways in my mind. And I'm teams are going to have a year now of watching how Greg Williams uses Jamal Adams and some of the other guys on the jets defense, but, you know, defensively, it just feels like another year where we should expect the Jets defense to be better than the Jets offense, which has been the case for 20, I don't know, 20 years at this point, almost. It's like, it's like 2004, maybe. Uh, so it, on paper, I think it's a good unit. There's still some questions at the cornerback position. We don't know what's going to happen with Jamal Adams. He'll be here this year. Is he going to be here long-term? I, I don't know. I wouldn't bet on it to be honest. Uh, and then, uh, There's some questions at edge rusher, but I think the hope is that Adams helps provide some of that pass rush. And Quentin Williams, who was the third overall pick in the draft, makes a big impact as an interior pass rusher. The Jets, again, have a lot of depth and versatility and talent on their defensive line. Again, they have a thin depth chart at edge. Uh, Again, they have some questions at corner, although they have some interesting pieces. And again, they have Jamal Adams. So it's kind of a similar story, but there was no – Headline major addition uh, Defensively at free agency I guess Desir was the biggest name they brought in And he's a guy who two years ago Was generating a little buzz But last year was hurt And was kind of banged up uh, So not much jumps off the page defensively No
0: I think the same thing could be said Of this defense that was said of it last year In terms of the fact that there are a lot of Good players on here But there are certainly holes The interesting thing will be, in addition to what you were saying with the pass rush as far as Jamal Adams being deployed creatively and Quinn Williams hopefully stepping up and being used more in an attack role. And I encourage everybody to go read Michael Nanias' five-part study on Quinn and Williams' rookie season and also listen to the podcast that we recently did going over everything where he sort of broke down exactly how Quinnen was deployed and how successful he was when he was used in different ways. I think that the other key factor for the pass rush that a lot of people aren't talking about is the Williamson and Mosley combination because they were out all last year. And I think that forced Greg Williams to do some things that he otherwise wouldn't have felt the need to do. You saw a ton of stunting from Quinn and Williams last year And that was in large part, I think, because the middle linebackers were subpar. The inside linebacker duo wasn't what the Jets were hoping it would be. They thought they were going to be getting a top five inside linebacker combination, and they ended up having replacement players there. So if you have those two guys there, that opens things up for Quinn and Williams, and it also should open some opportunities up for Jamal Adams out on the edge as well. It will be very interesting to see, though, Joe, even though this team has really good personnel on paper. They are missing the big-time edge rusher, as you said, and certainly there are questions at cornerback, although it's a much more promising situation than it was last year. You have to wonder if they're going to regress largely because of the fact that they have to face much better quarterbacks this year. You look at the list and you look at the schedule, and it's going to be tough a lot of these games on the road too against these really tough teams to beat and tough quarterbacks to go at you have Patrick Mahomes on the schedule this year you have Russell Wilson on the schedule this year so it's going to be a very difficult task for this team to be in the top five top ten again but it could happen if everybody stays healthy just because they have talented personnel and Greg Williams has shown that he knows how to use these guys in creative ways we saw it with Jamal Adams last year so a lot of questions but this is a defense that you're hoping will be the least of the Jets' worries in 2020. You're thinking that they should outshine the Jets' offense. Although, Joe, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if the Jets' offense surprised us all and outshine the Jets' defense in a positive way. I don't mean because the Jets' defense is bad. I mean because, let's say, Sam Darnold takes that next leap and the offense ends up being much, much better than anybody thought it could be. I think that's a scenario we could all get on board with.
1: I am. I am ready for a team with a good offense and an offense better than their defense. I don't even. Care. If the Jets are going to be seven and nine, be seven and nine with a good offense and a bad defense. I've seen six and ten and seven and nine with a good defense and a bad office, bad offense, sixty five thousand times. So I'm ready to watch a good offensive team. If I can't get a full good team, so that would be a nice, pleasant surprise. And I think you made some good points about the schedule this year. It's not just who and who they're playing and who the quarterbacks are. It's the travel and having to go across the country something they didn't have to do much last year. And, you know, Greg aside, and we can wrap this here and then hop over to your feed to talk about the draft picks and underappreciated Adam Gay stat is that over the past three years, he is five and 19 on the road, five and 19. And one of those wins came against the bills backups last year. And one of those wins came against the Washington Redskins who drafted second overall in the draft this past year. So that's a hard thing to overcome. If Gase is going one and seven or two and six on the road, the Jets could be great at home and it's not going to matter because they're not going to win enough games to get over the hump. So the Jets need to find a way to at least get to three and five or four and four on the road. So Gase could start breaking that trend because five and 19 is ridiculous and a hard thing to overcome. And that's why it was interesting because before they lost to Cincinnati last year, I, I was talking with Travis Wingfield, the guy we both talked to on our pods who covers Miami, and he he called the Jets both losing to Jacksonville and Cincinnati last year just because Gase does not have his team show up on the road. So can the Jets on both sides of the football break that trend this year? Because 5-19 and is ridiculous uh, in today's NFL, and hopefully that can improve. So that is going to wrap part one. We're going to go record part two now uh, where we're going to talk – about the draft additions for the Jets on the offense and defense. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Subscribe, rate, review. We'll have another episode on this feed probably by the end of the week. Uh, We might double up this week, so stay with us, and we'll talk to everyone soon.